0: Exodus 19, verses 1 to 6. On the first day of the month, after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. For those who have been redeemed who have been saved from sin and are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, one very important question that we would ask for our lives here and now is what is the purpose that God has for us individually and his people? We we know that in salvation and in the work of our Saviour, our eternal destiny has been changed and transformed. But as we go on in the Christian life, maybe you wonder... Why does the Lord not take us to heaven immediately? It's all about knowing heaven has been assured, which it's a big thing to be right with God and know that for eternity. Why does the Lord not take us there immediately? Now that's a question that can come before us in all kinds of different seasons in life. When we're younger and we wonder, what are we all about? What is life all about? We're facing big decisions about our life's calling. We're considering... Uh, those big questions of, of marriage and family and so many other things, of work and everything else. When we're in middle age and we're running around and we're juggling all kinds of different responsibilities and the years keep on ticking on quicker and quicker and you say, is it really another year, another Christmas, another Easter? And you wonder, am I using those years wisely and well? They're going fast. And then maybe in our senior years... When we face health struggles, when our mobility changes and our energy changes, and you just can't do all that you used to do, what now? What is life all about? What does God want for our lives? Why has the Lord saved us? Now this question of why has God rescued us is what God is going to address Israel with at the start of Exodus chapter 19. Because they have come here to this mountain that God had promised they would come to. And and to this point, their life has been incredibly busy. If you think about all the things they've been through, just in a matter of months. They have come out from slavery in Egypt. They have come out rapidly and quickly. They have known the challenges of the wilderness. And now they come to Sinai and they're going to settle there for an extended period of time. And the Lord uses this moment as they come here to Sinai, to teach them his purpose for them. And as we listen in to God's calling for them, we will learn God's calling for us too. Now, if you us last week we went through the whole of chapter 19 and we looked at the, the big picture of that chapter and we saw that God draws near to his people and makes himself known. And the God who draws near and makes himself known is seen to be a holy and a pure and a majestic God. And then the people are shown they can come to know God through the work of a mediator that's pictured there in the work of Moses and points forward to our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we read through and work through the whole chapter, you will have noticed that we went rather quickly through verses three to six. And that was because we're going to pick them up this week, because these verses, some I've said, are some of the most significant verses in the book of Exodus, maybe in the whole Of the Old Testament, because God teaches His people their purpose, why He has saved them. And so that's what we're going to look at today, considering why God has saved Israel as His people and why God has saved us as Christians. But before the Lord comes to teach them that, He reminds them of something. And He reminds them of it because He wants to teach them and show them that He is entitled to tell them their purpose his authority to tell them why he has saved them. And we're going to look at that and then we're going to come to the purpose for which God has saved them. So God begins by saying, remember what I did in rescuing you. There in verse four, maybe you can see it. It's there on the screens. The Lord says, you yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now that's a quick summary in verse four of all that God has done in rescuing his people. And there are three major movements there that he defeated their enemies. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. Now this is pointing to the ten plagues of Egypt. To the destruction of Pharaoh and his armies that followed in the Red Sea. And the Lord God did this. He did it to Egypt to break Egypt's power over Israel. Israel. And to give this final and ultimate demonstration of his power, he defeated their enemies. And the wonderful thing, in each of these three movements, we see that God has done something similar for us as his people. As those who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. So as God says to Israel, I defeated your enemies. Is it not also the case that the Christian has known a similar reality? That Christ did this for us when he died on the cross, he defeated the three great enemies of sin and death and Satan. And he did it for you, Christian. And in doing that, he broke their power over you. He paid the penalty of sin and so disarmed the devil and set you free from them. He defeated your enemies. But then also, he rescued you from danger. Here's a statement in the middle of verse four, how I carried you, on eagle's wings. Now that's a summary of verses, uh, chapters 15 to 18. Well, we think of all God did having brought them out of Egypt, and God took them through external dangers. There were the dangers of death by dehydration and starvation, there were the dangers of the enemy attacks of the Amalekites. But there weren't just external threats, there were internal dangers, because as we worked through those chapters, we saw the grumbling hearts of the people of how they long to go back to captivity in Egypt. And in light of that, we should be struck afresh. It's a wonder that Israel get to Sinai because they go through impossible situations. In their hearts, they show that they are impossible people, and yet God carries them on eagles' wings. That's a lovely phrase to remind us of God's care you know anything uh, of J.R. Tolkien's *The Hobbit*? You will know that there are, I think, two occasions in that great story where um, Tolkien has the heroes rescued by angel by by eagles when there is no hope. When they're in those trees and they're surrounded by the orcs and there, it seems like everything is lost and they're going to fall into the hands of their enemies, what happens? The eagles come, and they're carried there on the wings of the eagles. And friends, if you are a Christian today, God has rescued you from dangers in similar ways. Not just in salvation, but in keeping you in his grace from the external threats that you face to your faith. From the internal threats that that you work through. And God has rescued you. And it's a wonder that any of us would make it home to heaven. Because left to ourselves, with dangers around us. And dangers within us, we wouldn't get there. But God carries you through on eagle's wings. God says, I defeated your enemies, I rescued you from danger, but then thirdly, I brought you to myself. For Israel, the purpose of God's rescue from Egypt was never just to get them out of the grip of Pharaoh. It was to claim them back as his people. That's what came out in the reading that Andy so helpfully took us to in Exodus chapter 6. And indeed, it starts before then. Because when God spoke to Moses and God said, I'm going to send you to Egypt to rescue the people. In Exodus chapter 3 and verse 12, Moses is told that having brought the people out, what will they do? That they will worship God on this mountain And here they are. God has brought them here. What a wonderful reminder of God's work. So God has rescued them so that they would come to him, that they would be brought to himself. And the same is true for the Christian. And indeed, that's the beginning of our answer to this question. And we might say, friends, that it is not enough. It is simplistic to say that we have been saved just to go to heaven. We have been saved to be brought to know God now and to know him into eternity. And that has implications for life here and now before he takes us home. Now what's surprising about this reminder of God bringing them out from Egypt, of God carrying them on eagle's wings and of God bringing them to the self? Well what should surprise us is that this is all very recent history for the Israelites. This is not the material of an ancient history lesson for the people. It's just a few months ago. And yet God reminds them. And he reminds them to put before them the basis on which he can tell them what they have been saved for. He wants them to know he did all this for them in rescuing them so that he might remind them of their author- his authority to call them to certain things. And friends, as we think of Israel's rescue, let's remember our rescue if we're a Christian. That God calls us to remember that regularly, to remember it in an objective sense when we think of what Christ has done through his death and resurrection, but also to remember it subjectively when we think of what God has done in our lives personally. And friends, we should never tire of going back to all that God has done for us in rescuing us. We should speak to each other. We should sing of God's rescue in the Lord Jesus Christ. We should never tire of coming together and worshipping God for that. That's part of what we're doing when we come together as God's people. We're remembering what God has done in rescuing us, what he has done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we speak of it in that objective sense to each other and we sing of it to one another. But also, we should also speak to one another about what God has done personally and subjectively in our lives. That is to say we should be telling one another our testimony. Christians in the past did this a lot. If you, if you look in history, there was a, there's so much uh, good in sharing your testimony with each other. But it seems to me that we're less good at doing that now. I'm a part of a group of local pastors. We meet uh, every two months uh, and we seek to encourage each other. And something we do that I've never known a group of pastors do is that one person each time, one of them, is asked to share their testimony. And you know what? That can be the most encouraging part of the whole gathering. Why is that the case? Because we're remembering what God has done objectively in Christ, but also subjectively, personally, for an individual. We're reminding ourselves that this God is a living God who works in lives personally. And I wonder, friends, do you know the testimony of your Christian friends? As elders, we have the privilege of hearing someone's testimony when they come into membership. But do you know it? Have you asked your friends about it? Do you know the testimony of those who are there in your home group? I wonder if we might not make one of our prayer and share evenings a testimony-sharing evening where we give thanks for God's great work of salvation. And the reason God calls his people to this here and the reason he calls us to do that personally is so that we might recognize that having saved us, God is, it is his authority therefore to tell us what life is all about. These verses in Exodus follow a pattern that they would have known well from the nations around them of a covenant renewal ceremony where a great king, a ruler, would declare his right to rule over his people and then tell them what he wants from them. And this, in some ways, is what the Lord is doing here. He is saying, because I have rescued you, I am entitled, this is my right to tell you what you have been saved for. And the New Testament has exactly the same pattern for Christians. Because what do we read in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 to 20? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And so now we come to see the purpose of Israel and the purpose for us as his people. And we have three statements there in verse five and six that tell us why God saved us. And the first one is this, that God saved you to make you his own. Look down there uh, at verse five. Now, if you obey me, and keep my covenant that of, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. God is saying that He has especially taken hold of His people and claimed them as His own. Now in verse five, the Lord reminds us that all the nations are His, the whole earth is His, and yet His people are His treasured possession. This, this word, treasured possession, has the sense of, of what the king would keep it locked away in his royal treasury there in a secure vault so that whilst he owns the whole kingdom, this is something he particularly treasures. And Christian, God has saved you to make you his treasured possession. Now Israel would wonder, why is it that God has saved us why is it that God has rescued us in this way and the Lord would teach them in Deuteronomy, verses, uh, Deuteronomy 7 verses 6 to 8 where he says uh, these things the Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people his treasured possession that's what God has done and the Lord did not set his affection on you and chose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power, from the power of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt." So what is God saying there? God is saying there is nothing particularly special about the Israelites. It was God's love at work in keeping his promise to their fathers. That's why he saved them. That's why he made them his treasured possession. Here we're seeing this principle of the wonder of God's electing love for his people. That the people of God are not a choice people, but they are a chosen people. And Christian, that's who you are today. God has saved you because of his, his great love that you might be, that you might be his treasured possession. And that identity that comes all because of God's work gives you a secure status. Because what cannot be earned by actions but is given by promise in God, keeping his, God showing his love, cannot be lost, friends. You know, people seek a secure status in so many different things, in their qualifications, in their jobs, in their relationships, in their money, in their reputation in the world, in the love of others, in their appearance and their impression before others. But the thing about every other way of seeking a secure status is that it can be lost, And friends, if you ground your security in any of those things, you will never be steady and stable. Your days will be driven by a desire for more of those things. And your sleep will be plagued by the nightmare that you might lose them. But if you rest in your status as God's treasured possession, if you're a Christian then you will have stability, whatever comes in this life. Now, what does that mean in practice? Well, let me give you one example of that, and then maybe you can apply that principle to your life as you live it out. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a famous pastor and preacher, and after decades of faithful service, of doing so much in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, in service of God's people, in Being a faithful pastor, at the end of his life, he was afflicted by a debilitating and incurable illness. He was visited by a close friend who drew alongside him and said, Doctor, as he was always referred to, Doctor, it must be incredibly frustrating that all you can do is sit here and lie here and not be about anything in that sense. But you know what he said? He said, the Lord Jesus Christ said, Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. I am completely content. Friends, take that principle that you belong to God, that you are his treasured possession. Apply it to your life. Whatever else you're seeking status in and security in, do not seek it there. Find it in that settled fact that you Belong to God as his treasured possession. That's the first thing the Lord says. Know that I saved you to make you my own. But then secondly, he says, know that I saved you so that you might know me. God saved you to know him. And here we come to verse six, where the Lord says, you will be for me a kingdom of priests. Now, what does that mean? Well, what the Lord is particularly highlighting here is that they have been saved as God's people to have free access to God. Now, if you know anything about the Old Testament, you will know that the priesthood, and they're called to be a kingdom of priests, the priesthood had a number of different purposes. They were, the priests were to serve God, they were to offer sacrifices, they were to represent the people to God. But here, I think, the focus is not on those things, but upon the special access that the people of God have into the presence of God. Now, why do we say that? Well, because of the warning in verse 22. If you look at chapter 19 and verse 22, there is a statement here. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out against them. So what seems to be particular about the priesthood here is that they have a special opportunity to approach the Lord relative to the rest of the people. And as time goes on, as as God reveals more and more, this office of the priesthood will develop and it will become established and it will be a selective office. It will only be for one tribe. It will only be for the men in that tribe and they will do this work of coming before God. And for that time, it will be restricted. But here, God is teaching that that was temporary, that only some would know it. And that his purpose is that all of his people might have full and free access to him. That they might be a kingdom of priests. That all God's people might know the privilege of drawing near to the living God. And knowing God with that open access is one of the main reasons for the creation of mankind. When Adam and Eve are there in the garden, they know unhindered access to God. But then their sin stops that. And the angels with their flaming swords keep them away. The sacrificial system is there established to teach that sin must be dealt with so that we can draw near but the blood of animals could never cleanse the hearts from sin inwardly but the glorious truth that we rejoice in as christians is that access that adam and eve enjoyed has been restored through christ's all-sufficient cross and it means that all who look to christ by faith can draw near there is no need for a priesthood. There are no further barriers and restrictions. There is no flaming sword and no angels guarding the path to stop us from going there. Because by faith, we draw near into the very throne room of heaven. Christian, that is what you are made for, to know God. This is your purpose. And in Christ, it is your privilege. We're all shaped and driven by a bigger purpose. And I wonder this morning, can I ask you, what is yours? I was struck by an article this week where different columnists were sharing how Disney songs had shaped them in their youth and into adulthood in framing their purpose in their lives. And generations have been shaped by the lyrics of Disney songs. So one of the very earliest animated Disney films in the Jungle Book, what have you got? You've got the bare necessities. Now, what does that song teach? Well, it teaches the good life, the easy life. You might even see, say, a radical Zen-like rejection of possessions. Don't care about anything. Of course, that theme continues as you come to The Lion King and you listen to... Akuna Matata. And what does that teach? Well, it teaches a laid-back acceptance of anything. It's a stoicism, isn't it? It's no worries. Anything can happen in life and it doesn't matter. Just be happy. And then, if you've watched uh, Frozen, what is the theme song of Frozen? Frozen, let it go. What does it advocate? It advocates not fitting into norms or rules, expressing yourself as you think best and finding fulfillment in your freedom. And friends, the reality is generations have been shaped by the stories in those songs. And they live them out today. Do we not see that in our world? But in the scriptures, in God's word, God gives you a better story and purpose. He says, I rescued you. I made you my own so that you can know me. And that tells us that the heart of what it is to be human is to draw near to God in worship. We were made to know God. Our second answer to that question, God has saved us that we might be his treasured possession. He has saved us so that we might draw near to know him. And then thirdly, God has saved us so that we might be devoted to him. And here we come uh, to this statement uh, in the middle of verse 6, where the Lord says, You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A holy nation. And the meaning of this word holy, it can mean lots of things, but particularly in the context of Exodus, I think we're taught earlier on in the book that it means devoted. It means devoted to God. Because in Exodus chapter 3, when God comes to Moses and he speaks to him there uh, out of that burning bush, Moses is told that he is on holy ground, and because he's on holy ground, he must remove his sandals. So holy here in Exodus can't mean separate because if it was separate ground, he wouldn't be able to stand there, would he? Whether with his sandals or not. <laughs> but it must mean, therefore, devoted ground. It is given over to God. And so, because it is God's ground, then he must follow God's instructions for how he stands there, which is, which is pictured in how the Lord says, remove your sandals. It's a, it's a bit like what happens when you come to someone's house And you ring the bell and you step in and you say, shall I remove my shoes? What are you doing? You're demonstrating this is their home. It belongs to them. And so you follow what they ask when you're in their home. So God's calling here to be a holy people means that we are called to be a people fully devoted to him. And once again, as we saw the picture of being this, this kingdom of priests being a part of a bigger Bible story of drawing near to God. This picture of being a holy people is fit with the bigger Bible story as well. Because it, it reminds us that right through the scriptures from the Garden of Eden, God was seeking a fully devoted person. That's what he called Adam and Eve to, but they failed when they sinned in the Garden of Eden. That's what God calls Israel to, a life of heart, and, and, and a whole of life and heart devoted to him. And that's what he's signaling in verse five when he says, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant. But instead of offering that wholly devoted life, what do Israel do? Well, they live a life devoted to other gods. They devote themselves to Pharaoh. Having been rescued, they want to go back to what it was like when they were there in Egypt. They devote themselves to idols when in a few chapters they worship this golden calf and again and again and again Israel failed to be devoted because sin rules in their hearts. But then as we follow that Bible story through we see that one true Israelite comes, one Israelite who offers a life of total devotion to God and that's why the Lord Jesus was indeed an Israelite. That's why he came from this nation, so that he can offer this life of devotion to God in heart, in soul, in mind and strength. And so that his people, by faith if we look to him, can receive that life of perfect devotion given to them. But Christ's work doesn't stop there. We don't just receive that perfect life of Jesus, of devotion that God is looking for, we also know in the gospel that that Jesus heals us from our sin. He deals with our sin. He changes our hearts so that having come to faith in Christ, we are able to offer a life of full devotion. So the calling here to be fully devoted is fulfilled in Christ and then enabled by Christ in his work on the cross in destroying sin, and death, and Satan. We are set free from sin. He changes our hearts so that we can be devoted in this way. And that's the third part of the answer to our question. God has saved me to belong to him. God has saved me to know him. And God has saved me to live a life that is fully devoted to him. And friends, as we reflect upon this third area, I want us to see the goodness of that calling for our lives as God's people. You know, when we are devoted to other false gods, that always brings despair and depravity. Slavery in life to Pharaoh was horrendous. Slavery in heart to false gods leads to more and more sin. And that is always the case when we are devoted to anything other than the Lord God. However much we serve it, we will not find freedom. We will just know more slavery. And however long we give ourselves to it, we will find that our life becomes more and more warped and wicked. But devotion to the God of heaven brings freedom and joy and goodness. I think too often we see following God's ways as a negative thing that we just do begrudgingly because it's what we're supposed to do. But friends, that is not what Scripture says. To follow God's ways is a good thing. It's a glorious thing. Now, the Bible tells us and our experience confirms that it is a struggle. But we should never think that living God's way, devoting ourselves to Him in heart, soul, and mind and strength, is anything other than a glorious calling. Turning from habitual sin is hard. Turning from sexual sins, from, from greed and anger and bitterness and unholy desires, that's all challenging. But it's good to do that. This is part of why God saved you. This is part of what Christ has done for you in making you a new creation, in giving you a new heart, so that you and I can know the joy of repentance. So a great thing as a Christian, that I can repent from sin. I can actually turn from it that I couldn't do before. And not only that, I have the freedom, I have the, the gift of the spirit and a new heart that in the Spirit's help, I can walk in new ways. And that means, therefore, that my purpose each day is with God's strength, because of Christ's work, and with the enabling of the Spirit to live a fully devoted life. In Matthew 6, Jesus talks about the the danger of, of, of worry and the way it distracts us from serving the Lord. And and as we think about the danger of that, we can be so paralyzed by regrets about the past, things that have happened. We can so much allow our worries to dominate our mind about tomorrow, when actually what we need to do is to serve the Lord today, to serve the Lord with the energy that he gives us today. And that great priority, that good calling applies whatever stage of life you're in. When you're younger and you've got those big choices, if you make those choices everything, well, then you're going to serve them, aren't you? They become the gods to you. But instead, if you're saying, Lord, help me to live a life fully devoted to you, and then I make those choices about how I'm going to live my life in light of that great calling in the middle of life, when we're bombarded by all these different demands and time gets squeezed and we feel exhausted, what do we do? We get up each day and we say, Lord, help me to live today fully devoted to you. And as we come into our senior years, as health and energy changes, that remains our goal, to live a life devoted to God. And living like this, as God's holy people, is the most important aspect of any evangelistic strategy that you might have as a church, you might have as a church. We can plan events, and that's great. We can share literature and share testimonies, and that's wonderful. But what the world needs from us most of all is for the church to be a holy people, for Christians to be truly Christian, living all of life for the Lord Jesus Christ, And friends, isn't that what Peter calls the church to do As he picks up these very verses in 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10, there is a very clear echo of Exodus 19 where the Lord says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the people of God, that is our calling. And as we close, the thing that has struck me so much this week is the wonderful way in which that is a positive purpose for us to live out personally and to hold out to the world. The pressing need of our day, friends, is to speak of a positive calling for men and women and boys and girls. I was struck by that reading a quote from a Christian MP, Miriam Coates, who highlighted just how negative the message of our world can be. Hear what she said. She said, When culture schools and universities openly teach that our country is racist, that our heroes are villains, that humanity is killing the earth, that you are what you desire, that diversity is theology, that boundaries are tyranny and self-restraint is oppressive. Is it any wonder that mental health conditions, self-harm and suicide, and epidemic levels of anxiety and confusion characterize the emerging generation? How different, how Good. How positive is a message we can share? That for those whose story is, God has rescued me. For those who know the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can know that we have been saved to belong to God. We are his treasured possession. What a settled, secure status that gives us. We can know that we have been saved to know God. We are a kingdom of priests able to draw near. And we can know that we have been saved to be fully devoted to God as a holy nation. So by God's grace and with his help, may that be our purpose each day. Amen.